0: Hi, this is Chris Hart, host of Plugged In with Chris Hart, and I'm taking Alabama over Tennessee in their game October 21st. BetOnline has free odds and lines available online or on your mobile device. Visit BetOnline today. Hey, Crime Salad listeners, let me introduce you to our friend Margot from Military Murder. Hi, Crime Salad fans. I am Margot, the host of Military Murder, a true crime show where I focus on crimes committed by military members and veterans, and sometimes their spouses. But don't worry, you don't have to know anything about the military to listen, I promise. You just have to be a true crime enthusiast. And if that's you, welcome to the True Crime Army. Today, I wanted to give you a little sneak peek into a serial killer you probably never heard of. A man who was an active duty Marine had committed a double homicide while in high school, quickly joining the Marines after graduation, only to go on to commit what he called the perfect murder. It was the perfect murder of a sailor who lived seven doors down from him in the barracks. This man was only caught after two keen-eyed police officers saw him creeping around the streets of Arlington, Virginia. And with that, let's dig in. Something weird was going on in February of 2010 in the Arlington, Virginia area. In the late hours of February 4th, 2010, into the early morning hours of February 5th, an Arlington police officer named Corporal T.L. Clifford saw something that he deemed suspicious. Officer Clifford had been working the, I'm quoting here, valley beat for eight years now, so he was familiar with all the regulars. Whenever something out of the ordinary popped up, he'd notice. Officer Clifford saw a silver Dodge Durango that seemed out of place, and it was driving slowly along Shirlington Road. Officer Clifford had previously owned the exact same vehicle, In addition to this vehicle driving suspiciously slow, it piqued his interest. But eventually, the Durango left the area. But about an hour later, the Durango popped up again on Officer Clifford's radar. He kept thinking, what is up with this car? What is this guy doing? This time, the Durango was slow rolling near Four Mile Run, which is a stretch of path where you will usually find runners or bikers. Well... Officer Clifford saw as the Durango parked his car between two trucks near a bike path and the driver shut off his lights and sat in his car idling for about 15 minutes. And then the Durango left. Officer Clifford's spidey senses went off. And while the car didn't do anything illegal, the officer ran the plates and didn't see any warrants or anything suspicious on that account. So instead, he wrote the license plate number down, never realizing that his quick thinking would lead to the takedown of a serial rapist and a serial killer. Because unbeknownst to Officer Clifford, the person in the driver's seat of that Durango was scouting out areas for his next victims. Well, wouldn't you know it? The next day, February 5th into February 6th, Officer Clifford spotted the Durango again. On this day, the streets were extra quiet, because there had been a massive snowstorm dubbed Snowmageddon that pretty much incapacitated the city. This time, when Officer Clifford saw the Durango, he followed it, and he watched it as it parked near a poorly lit spot near some bars. The Durango parked, turned off its lights, and sat there idling. Then it took off. As police work goes, you might be watching out for something one minute, but then something else pops off, so it's off to the next thing, and that's what happened here. Officer Clifford and Nusseli were called to a traffic accident. But while there, who slow rolled by with its windows down? But the silver Durango. This time, as reported by The Washingtonian, for the first time, Officer Clifford and Officer Nusseli got a good look at the driver. It was a clean-shaven young man with a black wool cap. In the early morning hours of February 10th, 2010, a 25-year-old woman was walking to her boyfriend's house in Arlington, Virginia. I am going to call her Maria, and that is a pseudonym. That's not her real name. Maria had worked the night shift as a nurse at the ER. A storm had hit that night, so she got off early from work. She took the metro to Virginia Square Station and then intended to take a cab, but due to the storm, there were none available. So she hoofed it. While she was walking near the 1700 block of North Quincy Street, a man approached Maria from behind and grabbed her jacket. Maria instinctively went to turn around when the man displayed a handgun and told her to stay quiet and just walk. Maria told the man, hey, just take my bag. But the man kept pushing Maria in the direction of his SUV. Maria resisted the entire way and then the man brandished a knife. But Maria refused to get in his car. She was like, I am not going in there. And she was able to break free from his grasp, dropped her purse, and ran as fast as she could to her boyfriend's house. At the house, Maria immediately called the police. By the time the police arrived, the man, his SUV, and Maria's purse vanished. Maria gave police a detailed description of the man's face. And while she saw the man's SUV, she really couldn't remember many details. She thought it was, I don't know, light-colored, maybe tan. And so with that information, police put out a bolo, a be on the lookout for a tan SUV. Guess who heard that bolo? Officer Clifford. Officer Clifford heard that and was like, "Wait." So he immediately told a different officer about seeing a shady-looking silver SUV a few days earlier. But this other cop was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," and he kind of just brushed it off. So instead of coming forward with the information, Officer Clifford didn't pursue it further for now. But then 2 weeks later, more women would be attacked by a man driving a light-colored SUV. On Saturday, February 27th, 2010, at about 2 o'clock in the morning, a woman who I will call Helen, that's also a pseudonym, was walking up to her house near North Wakefield Street when a man approached her from behind. He told her he had a gun and for her to get in his car, specifically his SUV. Helen refused and a struggle ensued. The man then brandished a stun gun and put it on Helen's neck. Miraculously, though, either the gun didn't go off or Helen was freaking Wonder Woman and it didn't affect her because our girl Helen was able to run away and call 911. But the man had gotten away, and while any smart person would lay low for a while, this man was desperate, and he struck again two hours later on the same street. So it's now 4 o'clock in the morning, and two 23-year-old grad students, who I'm going to call Kesha and Jill, were walking home from a night out with friends. They were heading towards North Wakefield Street. As the women were stopped in front of Kesha's house, according to reporting in The Washingtonian, Kesha stopped to find her keys in her purse. When all of a sudden, a man emerged from behind a parked car. He showed the ladies that he was carrying a gun. He then demanded their wallets. The women were terrified. They were like, we don't have any money. But the man likely knew the cops might be patrolling the area from the first attack two hours earlier, so he quickly forced the women inside of Kesha's house. He asked her if there was anyone there, and she said no, but her roommate was upstairs sleeping. Inside the house, he ordered Kesha and Jill to kneel by the couch. He then patted them down and bound their hands with the cord from a vacuum cleaner. Then he left the room. While the man was out of the room, the women were able to loosen their hands, but the man soon returned with a kitchen knife. Upset, he retied Jill's hands with the cord from an iron, and he tied Kesha's hands with the cord from a vacuum cleaner. He then ordered both women into a bedroom. Okay, Crime Salad fans, at this point in the story, things get crazier and crazier. I invite you to head over to Military Murder Podcast wherever you're listening to this show. And check out my two episodes on serial killer George Torres. It's episode 116 and 117 for reference. See you there. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.